the amazing people who regularly worship here at Beautiful Savior is someone I brought with me when I joined you about five months ago. The same someone who is most directly responsible for my living in Wisconsin right now at all. But she's also my wife. Karen has often said, I've warned her about it, by the way, I said, you might want to skip this one, go someplace else this week. I'm going to talk about you in the church, and I know you hate that. But she's here, so just sit back and take it. Karen is my heart. I always had a great deal of confidence that became arrogance. Success after success just increased that sense of arrogance until she helped me to see the human side of life. I was already given my life to ministry. I was an English teacher at Baltimore Lutheran High School. But I was still pretty near insufferable until this lady entered my life. And very often she would make observations or just even ask me questions that would clarify God's need for justice or explain God's perfect mercy in ways that reoriented me and humbled me. I'd like to tell you about one of those times. It was nine years ago, right around Valentine's Day. As a matter of fact, it was just after Valentine's Day. Now this Valentine's Day story has nothing to do with candy and flowers, or initially even with the two of us. And I must warn you, though I've sanitized it a bit, it is a tale difficult in the telling. In Warrenton, Missouri, a small community on the other side of the state from where we were living, a married couple was living apart from each other because the husband was a selfish and violent man. And his wife feared for her life. But she had a co-worker who had a little boy and a young daughter. And she said, you can move with, in with us until this blows over, till you decide whether you're going back to him or whether this is it. Well, on Valentine's Day, that husband, that estranged husband, decided he had had enough. And he went to get his wife back. And he was turned away at the door and went back to his car. But instead of driving away, he grabbed a knife and stormed the house where his wife had been given refuge. He killed his wife. And he attacked everyone else in the house. The only one left alive when he left 
was an 18-month-old little girl who happened to be napping in another room. He didn't know that she was there. Then he sat down and called the police and told them what he had done. When he turned on the woman who had been renting the house, the good Samaritan who had offered shelter and protection to this man's wife, her seven-year-old son tried to protect her. But that boy didn't even slow that crazed man down. The mother was killed and distant relatives needed to be contacted to make the difficult decision to remove the little boy from life support because his little body had lost so much blood to the 13 wounds this selfish coward had inflicted. His funeral was of necessity a closed casket, as was his mother's and the friend. We met the little boy's relatives at a holiday, was it a holiday inn? At a holiday inn when we went down for breakfast. We had never met them before. They were coming from Texas and going back there after the funeral. They said, we're so glad that you've come. And they explained a whole lot about what had gone on in that family. Now, little Mason, the child, the seven-year-old child who had been killed, he wasn't a Lutheran. He didn't attend a Lutheran school. But the teachers and the principal and the counselors of this excellent public school he attended did all they could and then reached out to Lutheran church charities through the local Lutheran congregation and asked if comfort dogs could be brought, whether they would be available to spend Friday the day after the funeral in the little boy's first grade classroom as well as meet with the first responders who are unused to such brutality and violence, but had been called to the horrific scene. And with the teachers who answered the hard questions, many of the kids went to the funeral for their classmate. But since it was a closed casket, they just didn't get it. The next day, Friday, the day that we were there, they kept on asking, where is Mason? They answered the hard questions not only from their students, but also from the dread and the dreams that come when evil has walked so close beside you. Karen and I and two other handlers took our church's comfort dogs Louis and Jackson. Because it was primarily for times such as these that we had these critters. 
We had seen the difference that they made in Joplin after the tornado and in Sandy Hook and in Boston and Colorado and in Moore, Oklahoma and more than three dozen other deployments after plane crashes and bombings and hate crimes and tragic accidents, tornadoes and floods and mass shootings, far too many mass shootings. We went there to share the compassion of Christ, to allow little children and their traumatized teachers to find safety and comfort and furry distraction. And it worked. We met with police officers before school and at noon, and we worked the dogs throughout the school day, and then we stayed for more than an hour after school so that the especially traumatized kids could have more time with us and with the dogs. But what we didn't expect was that the entire teaching staff came in and sat cross-legged on the floor and just welcomed the dogs into their laps and told the dogs everything they had been going through. The dogs didn't say anything. They didn't have that skill. That's why I was there, to offer pastoral care. But during one of those breaks, in the middle of the day, the principal told us that Little Mason's family was all from Texas, that part we knew, and also from New York. And that the father was so far out of the picture that they didn't even see him at any of the funerals. But that there was an older couple, neighbors of the little boy and his mother, who came with the little guy to Grandparents' Day and to other first-grade celebrations. In fact, the principal told us that older couple had invited the family to go to church with them, and they hardly ever missed a Sunday. And as we were driving the five hours home in the dark, at the end of a long and exhausting day, my wife asked a question so poignant, simple, and straightforward, yet so profound, that I had to share it with the congregation that Sunday. And I share it again with you nine years later. I mean, what do you say at the end of doing all you can in the face of terrible tragedy? I almost missed the most important question, but Karen put her finger on it. As I was driving the van, she shifted in her seat beside me. Usually when she did that, it was to tell me, you have to let these people out to go potty sometime. You can't just drive the whole distance, but this time it was something different. Actually, that question came up later, didn't it? But the question that she asked me at the time was, what if Mason's neighbors 
had never invited him and his mom to church. The mother and her young son had heard the good news of salvation. They had spent most of a year walking with Jesus every week, not knowing that they would so soon see their Savior face to face. Peace followed their fear. The, word, the worst that a selfish stranger could do to them was not greater than the love of the self-sacrificing shepherd who found his lost sheep and took them home. Well, I thank God for those kindly neighbors. And in case you're wondering, they were Baptist. But I thank God for those kindly neighbors who invited that family to church and introduced them to the one solid rock in their shifting sand. I thank God for the chance this family had been given to hear the gospel of Christ. And that's why I share this with you today. Paul told us in our epistle that we're to count it all blessings when God gives us the opportunity to do the work he calls us to at the time that he's appointed. Those windows of opportunity might be large or they might be small. But they are chances that perhaps would never come again. We don't imagine that our work will make us famous among men. Or more favored by God. How can he love us more than he already does? And our Lord made clear in the gospel today that the law is more demanding than we can imagine and holiness beyond anything that we could muster. But we who know that we are saved by grace through faith also know that the Lord has equipped us to do his work. Read our second reading of the day and marvel that God has called us to be more than merely human. So I thank God for our Lutheran churches and our Lutheran schools and, and our neighborhood outreach programs. Thank God for our first Fridays and for our praise night and for vacation Bible school and, and all the other windows of opportunities that are open to us. Because in our churches and in those outreach programs and certainly in our schools, the testimony of Christ and of his salvation is never left to chance, but structured into all that we do. The law is taught without compromise and the gospel is shared in full sweetness. And I thank God for the love and compassion, for the accountability and for the forgiveness that is known by 
God's children and shared with sheep of another fold. I thank God that even the youngest can hear the history of God's plan of salvation. Through the whole history of the Bible, people of all ages meet heroes of the faith who have real strength, real faith, real flaws, and real sin. Strong people who, for all their striving, could not save themselves, but are saved anyway. Here, people can hear that there's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves from sin, but that God will judge you not by whatever righteousness you can present, but by the perfect righteousness which was the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And because of his perfect gift, we are saved. We are safe. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. When God opens a window of opportunity for you, share faith, love, kindness, and comfort in his name. And do so intentionally. Constantly and necessarily. This is not just our window of opportunity. It is our definition as a people. It is our everyday mission. And so much depends on that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated.